0: Are you guys excited to learn how to be a loser? Everyone is thrilled. This is week two of how to be a loser. Um, The point is this, right? This is January, so it's a time of resolutions and, you know, finding a way to win at life. Right? Victorious life, the conquering life. We're going to be the fitter, smarter, more disciplined, more healthy. We're going to hit the gym. We're going to watch what we eat. We're not going to have donuts. Every morning, we are going to improve ourselves, right? Because we want to be the best version of us. Sound like anything you've seen on TV in the last week. Pills and gym memberships. Uh, Are you guys on Facebook? Have you noticed that all the gyms in the entire area are like just boosting their, their posts like crazy? We're here. We're here. We know you won't come back after the first week, but we want your money anyway, right? And so in January, it's a time of the year uh, you know, uh, here in the States where we have this culture of self-improvement. It's a brand new year, it's a brand new start, and we can get ourselves better. We can have a better life, um, be better people. And uh, th- the concept of this series is just that: you know, to understand that we are not necessarily a part of of this culture. While we live here, we function here, we are in the world, we're not to be of it. And so what happens is the place, the culture that we are a part of is a kingdom culture. It's called the kingdom of God. And it's, how you say this, it's an upside down culture. It's an upside down kingdom, meaning to win in the kingdom of God to someone on the outside looks like losing. When you are a winner in in pursuing and following Jesus in your life, you will look like a loser to someone on the outside. Because you know what? Because when Jesus was on the cross bleeding and, oh yeah, when he died, he looked like a victorious king to everybody else, didn't he? That was sarcasm. The answer is no, he did not. And this is the model that we follow because we don't live just for this life. And so the struggle for us is that we begin to understand success and understand relationship to God the way that the world does. And so in the world, if you are succeeding in the world, you are healthy, you are wealthy, and you are prospering in everything that you do. And what happens for us is when we begin to, to follow Jesus, and then all of a sudden something happens. Pain, loss, sorrow, uh, we lose a job, but, you know, we lose a child. We experience pain and we say, why has God abandoned us? Because this is not what it looks like to be successful. Surely God is mad at us. He's angry with us. He's left us because this is not what I know success to be. If He loves me, He will make everything perfect in my life. And the problem for all of us is how do we understand? How do we willingly choose to follow after a king and a God who tells us that in order to gain our lives, we must lose it. He tells us in His kingdom, the first in this world are going to be last, and that the last in this world are going to be first. How do we choose to follow a God who tells us that not in our strength is He glorified, but in our weakness, His power is made perfect. And so we have this struggle, and we find out that following Jesus... Is summarized in two symbols a cross and an empty tomb. The crucifixion and the resurrection, death and life. And the part of the gospel which we love to talk about is the life, the resurrection. We get to be free. We get to experience wholeness and wealth and blessing, prosperity. What we don't want to talk about is the path to those places. And the only place, the only road to the resurrection is through the crucifixion. The only way for us to get to life is to go through death. And the way that the church initiates, the way that we even start this journey with Jesus, it's this thing that we call baptism. We go under the water. The way that we start this life is by reminding ourselves, having this cold water, or extremely hot water if you're here, and it's scalding and gross, anyways... When you go under the water, it is a you feel it, it wakes you up, it shocks you. And it is supposed to be an experience that's supposed to cement in your mind and your heart of what's to come. Going in this water is a picture of my body going into the grave. On the cross, in the grave, in the hole, the stone rolled over, just like Jesus. This, in this life, I will live as a dead man. Because He tells me, because to be His, his disciple means that I get to live in the resurrection every day, And enjoy myself daily. Does that sound like a verse you've ever heard before? To follow Jesus, I get to carry my cross daily. And I get to deny myself daily. And so how do I embrace this life of living like a loser in this world? Because I know that this is the pathway into the ultimate place of winning, if you would. That I may get to enjoy blessing, prosperity, health and wealth in this life, but I may not. But that's not the point. My goal is I'm not living for these 70 years, 100 years. I'm living for eternity. For 1,000 years, for 10,000 years, for 100,000 years. I'm living for a life that has no end. For an existence that doesn't have death on the end of it. For relationships that will never be lost, ever. That's what I'm living for. But the way for me to get there is to embrace death, losing, in this world first. Now, remember, it's not a guarantee that we lose, but it's a guarantee that we have to be willing to embrace anything and everything that comes our way, trusting Christ no matter what. So with this context, understanding that in the kingdom of heaven, it's not about winning necessarily. It's about finding out how to be the loser, how to be that that poor guy at the end of the race. I just love that picture. Who naturally would assume that you're that guy? That's what I'm talking about. He's like, I don't run. (laughs) What's funny in the parables and the scriptures, we always put ourselves in the seat of the person who's winning. Always. But often when you begin to read the Gospels, when he's speaking to us, we're always in the seat of the person who's being called to lose. Now, this morning, what I want to talk about is not so much the, the bigger picture of how we lose, but what's this mean for you as a person? Um, what's this mean for you when it comes to the way that you better yourself? Uh, are we talking about the, the need for us to not try to, to, you know, are we not supposed to go to the gym? Are we not supposed to diet? Are we not supposed to care about any of these things? Um, so I kind of want to dig into what this means for us to kind of discover how we follow Jesus into finding who we are in this life. Now, let me make this kind of a simple point here. Now, to culture, winning is about finding the best you. Okay? It's about this. It's about, how you put this? The culture around us is constantly, it's prodding us, it's pushing us to pursue the best you. And that best you is a perfect you. For example, uh, men, when you see ads in magazines, are these guys just broke? Are they driving a 76 Beetle, right? The guy with the tag watch or, you know, okay. He's driving an Aston Martin. That's a car that I would not mind having, right? You guys are like, Aston, what are you talking about? They're driving the nice car. They've got the, the expensive watch. He's, he's, he is a winner because he is rich. Ladies, when you guys turn on the TV, when you go by the, you know, the billboard, when you guys see uh, Victoria's Secret, which he's not keeping quiet anymore, when you, that was funny, <laughs> when you guys walk by these places, are you being told that you are a winner? You're being told that in order for you to be a winner, you need to find a way to be a better you. We don't go to the gym to pack on the pounds, right? And most of us are not going to work out for health reasons. If you are, that is phenomenal, I encourage you to do it. Most of us go to the gym for vain reasons. It's not so much that I want to, you know, have a healthy heart, it's that I want to be able to fit into a size four. And of course, I have no idea what that size is. Okay, so like, don't look at me. You're like, yeah, I mean, like I said that, I was like, oh, wow, is that good or bad? I don't, I don't even know. I wouldn't even know. Single digit sounds good to me. I don't know. Um, we have this very clear kind of pressure from everything around us. We have these expectations, and we are constantly being pressured you've heard about the formation of diamonds, uh, you know, with coal. and it, it just takes time, pressure, and heat. And you can take this, this, you know, this rock, and over time, pre- time, pressure, and heat, it turns out a diamond. Well, what happens is, we always talk about that with, with God and our relationship with Him, but what happens is we're actually in the same process in the world. Everyone around you, your, your friends, Facebook, uh, when you turn on uh, the TV, when you go to the store... You are being, there's pressure, and it's constantly trying to form you into an image. Now, what's difficult about this is that we have a separate set of pressures. As Christians, we're supposed to step out of those pressures and step under the pressures of God, the Spirit of God, the Scriptures of God, and the grace of God. And these three pressures are supposed to conform us into a different image, the image of Christ, right? Now, now what's so weird about this is that while the world is always trying to, to pressure us to be this perfect image, in essence, it's almost like the world's trying to take you. Um, how you put that? Have um, you guys ever seen someone uh, who's been airbrushed before? You know what I'm talking about? Um, airbrushed abs, have you guys ever seen that? You have the guy, uh, you say this nicely. You have a, this guy who has like a dad bod. Have you heard that term before? Dad bod. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, uh, with the paint that they spray on abs. Okay. Okay. And all of a sudden he looks just amazing. We have this culture that's trying to pressure us into this different image. Now, what's different about this with God? God is trying to conform us to an image, but what's happening here, this process is trying to form you to something that you're not. The process of God is trying to uncover what you already are. And so, in the same way that the world is always trying to, to prod us to be the best you, in God, He is always trying to lead us to discover the Real you. There's a difference. Because see, in the world, the real you is not the what? The best you. You learn that in high school, don't you? Junior high even, right? But see, in the kingdom, it's vice versa. In the kingdom, those of us who have learned how to put on the right image to be successful, you know, just to be who the world wants us to be, it's even harder for us when we enter into the kingdom because now we have to unlearn and untrain all these things that we used to do. In the kingdom, the best you is the real you. And so in the kingdom of God, it's not a process of, uh, if you would, building you up. It's a process of stripping off all the junk that you've already added on. This is a very kind of a profound thing. Stay with me on this. Most of us in this room, when you picture growing in Christ, it's almost like you picture exercise. If I, you know, uh, if I read the Bible more, if I would just pray more, if I would just fast more, if I would just be a better person, if I just wouldn't sin so much, if I just wouldn't, you know, drink so much or or cuss so much, you know, whatever, right? It's this idea that I'm going to be able to, you know, to build myself up. Yeah, I'm sorry, sure. I, I can't get too high. But yeah, you understand. To build myself up to be a, a really good Christian. And so it's a process of you're constantly saying to yourself, I'm just not good enough. I need to do more. I need to try harder. And what's scary about this, and I want you to hear me on this, is that you are trying to pursue God the same way that you have tried to pursue life in this world. You are trying to try harder. In this world, if you want more money, what do you do? You work harder. If you want to be stronger, you go exercise more, right? Okay. Anyways, you get the idea. It's the idea of continuing to just go after it. And the kingdom is a very frustrating idea because the kingdom is the opposite idea. Because, see, what happens in the kingdom is it's not about becoming something else. It's about getting back to who you are. And what's so... Painful about this process is that you are not in control. Let me make this analogy to you. In the world, the way that you succeed, you climb the ladder, right? You climb the mountain, you scale the mountain, right? You work your way up to the top. If you're in business, you get to be the CEO, right? If you're in the gym, you get to be big. Yeah, the words came to my head were not appropriate. I don't know what happened. Um, You get to be slim and fit, whatever it is, okay? You work your way there. It's climbing, it's effort. Let me kind of float this to you. In the kingdom of God, the way that we, if you would ascend, the way that we get to the place God calls to be is not by climbing. It's by falling. You literally fall your way in. Let me say this in a more churchy way so we get it. We use that word grace, right? Grace. Uh, grace church. What do you need grace church for if you can climb your way to the top? What do you need grace for, period, if you can get there on your own? The point we don't get is that there's nothing waiting at the top of that mountain for us. That's not the way it works. For us, the process is not climbing to God. The process is falling into His arms. It's, it's allowing ourselves to let go of all the trying and the striving and the worrying and the effort. And the st- we're, we're not saying there's no place for discipline, uh, but the word effort, I would replace that with obedience. Better yet, Forget obedience. It's not even about obedience, it's about willingness. Because see, in the Scriptures, it's always about the heart stance. Even for the disciples, they still disobeyed, but the heart was willing. Peter still denied, but the heart was willing. It's hard to find a winner in the Gospels. Every single one of them failed continuously. But every time they would fall, they would fall into greater understanding of who God was and who they were. The process of, of finding who you really are is a process of letting go of who you want to be, a process of letting go of who you've been told you need to be. This is the way that we find ourselves. This is the way in the kingdom that we win. Now, uh, what happens in this is very simple. When you begin to be willing to allow the Spirit of God to lead you in, into finding who you are. It's so different than the process of becoming the best you. Because see, in the process of becoming the best you, you are trying to fix your weaknesses. Right? Okay, right. I love... My lazy boy and I love my chips. I see that as a weakness, right? Okay, right? So I need to take a weakness, I need to build it up. I need to strengthen the weak the weak areas in my life. And so the process of becoming the best you is about finding a way to remove all the, the imperfections from who you are. The idea in this world of, of being the best you, of being a winner, is being independent, right? Okay, how about this? Uh, he's a self-made man. Have you guys ever heard that term? Come on, nod at least a little bit. Okay, you've heard a self-made man. And to us, that's a good thing, right? Yeah, he made his own way, okay? Because he's a winner to us, right? Or she's a strong, independent woman, right? Now, again, I'm not, <laughs> we're not saying, th- okay. Just give me grace on these analogies, okay? okay? The idea is that if we would continue to work, we will be less and less dependent on anyone else. Because in this world, to be dependent, to be weak, it means you're a loser. Now, we're not going to get too deep into this, okay? But one of the things in our society that we look down on the most is welfare. Welfare. Right? Someone who's not working. Well, that person is get up off their butt and do it, right? And again, we're not getting into the details of this, but again, it's just another picture of the way that we see dependence. It's weakness, it's losing. You're going the wrong direction in life. We joke about the 30 year old uh, uh, nerd who lives in his mom's basement, right? He hasn't moved out yet. He is a winner. We all strive to live in our mom's basement when we're 30. Right? No. Because to us, winning is independence. I don't need anyone. Independence is simple. It's self-reliance. I do not need you. Now, dependence is what? Yeah. It is reliance on others or other things. Meaning, I cannot continue without this or without you. In the world, the best you doesn't need anyone. In the kingdom, the real you needs everyone. And this is difficult for us, right? One of the biggest reasons that us Christians here in the States have such a hard time with the gospel is because it continually calls us to acknowledge our weaknesses. We call it being real, okay, uh, here at Grace. We are real people following God. And to be real means that we have strengths and we have weaknesses. We have the upsides of us and the downsides. We have some places where we've succeeded, and we have plenty of places where we fail. And the hardest thing about Jesus, and this whole idea, is that we're having to lean on someone. But isn't this the opposite of what we should be striving for? Shouldn't we be working our entire lives to not need anyone? And in the kingdom, when we find the real us, what we're finding is that we are people who need. understand this about us. We as humans have been created to be addicts. We have addictive natures, okay? Now, you might think that you're not an addict, but you are. You just haven't figured out what you're addicted to, okay? It's easy to see someone who's addicted to heroin. That person's an addict. But in our culture, someone who's addicted to success, that person's a winner. That person's a terrible parent, an awful spouse, absentee parent, you know, narcissistic, you know, rude, mean, abusive, but they are winners. Because in our culture, certain things, certain addictions are okay and certain aren't. Other ones aren't. You are created to be addictive because... To be a worshiper, to be created to exist with God, means that we are created to need more and more and more. I mean, as creatures, for us to be created for eternity means that we have to be creatures who continually need something to do. And to be creatures created to spend eternity with God means that we have to, at some point, stop being bored, right? And we have to have this desire and ability to pull more from God. But what happens is, in the places where we are, We aren't with God. And so what happens is we are truly dependent creatures. But when we are dependent creatures separated from God, that's where the things get a little bit troubling. Because see, for us, it's crucial that we acknowledge our weakness. It's crucial that we acknowledge our need to depend, to lean on something. But the danger comes in when culture gives us other things to lean on. See, what culture says is what you need is just a little more money. What you need is just a little more education. What you need is just to be a little bit more attractive so you can get a little bit more sex. Stay with me. You know what's true? Let's, let's all be grown-ups this morning, right? What does culture tell you that you need to be happy? Money and what? No one's going to say it. A bunch of grown-ups in a room. No one's going to say it. Thank you. Be real and food. Lord have mercy. That's mine. Food. And food, yes, not bread. I mean, we need good food, right? Ciabatta right. bread, right? okay. And so, what happens is for us is we continue to be led to other things to depend on. You know, to be an American man means that you don't need your wife. What it means is that you need sports. Ridiculous. What you need is more facial hair. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Oops, that was a bad one. What you need is to be more successful. What you need is more hobbies. What you need is more fill-in-the-blank. And what happens with this is, see, addiction apart from God is dangerous. Because, see... When we begin to depend on anything but God first, it leads us to addiction. And so we need more and more. I need more success. I need more money. I need more sex. I need more whatever it is. More, more, more. And so the moment that you become addicted to anything, you will do whatever it takes to get that thing. And so because I need it, my entire life is about me and I, and it's, it's self-centered. So what it means is if something gets between me and success, between me and money, between me and anything that I need, I'm going to get that person or do whatever I have to do to get it. And that in-between between me and what I'm addicted to, between me and what I depend on, is what we call sin. When you are depending on anything but God first... You, that is where sin comes from. When I lean on anything but what I was created to lean on, I behave a way that I wasn't created to behave. You've seen an addict on, you, you know, uh, uh, I guess like CSI or something, right? You know, you know these people who will murder just to get a fix, right? But what you don't understand is the reason that the call of Jesus to love and to put others first, to put the needs of everyone before us is so difficult for us. It's because for us, it might not be a fix of harem, but it's a fix of success. It's a fix of, of pride or, or vanity or fill in the blank. And we are willing to do whatever it takes to get that person out of the way to get what we need. And so that's why the call of the kingdom is a call to embrace being last, being lowly, being a loser. It's not because he wants us to just experience being losers. It's because we have to get to a place where we don't want anything in this world more than we want God and his kingdom. Because the only way to follow Jesus is to operate in absolute love and selflessness. To be so consumed with him that we are going to operate like him the problem is, if I love anything more than I love God, that means I'm willing to harm people to get it. Because the only thing in my life that I can love absolutely and not harm anyone to get it is God Himself. I'm not sure if you got that, but that was really good. The only love, the only addiction, and the only dependence I can absolutely have and have as much as I want and not harm anyone around me is God Himself. And the reason that the call of the kingdom is a call to be losers, it's a call to, to, to give up being successful and having money and, and being you know, famous or being you know, whatever, it's not because He wants us to, to not enjoy good things. It's because we have to shed these things off first so that we can follow Him. In the moment that these things don't mean more to us than He means to us, now we're ready for Him to pour our blessings into our lives. But not until that moment. Because the danger is if I haven't gone through this process, then I will still be harming people, hurting people. I will still be operating as an addict, but now in the name of Jesus. And I think we've all seen this, right? Because you know what? Oh, gosh, I want to do that. Plenty of, of, of examples in the news of, of very famous preachers who have done this, correct? In the name of Jesus, I'm going to, to, to do whatever I have to do to get my fix, and I'm going to do it in the name of Jesus. So the gospel becomes about being healthy, being wealthy and prosperous, because that's what I want. Now, what happens here is once we begin to allow God to work on us, to, to have this process start in us, Here's what happens for us. Here's the first thing. We begin to learn that we have to be dependent on God. And, you know, here's why. Because our relationship with God grows healthier as we choose to depend on Him. What happens is the more that we're willing to to be needy with God, the healthier our relationship gets. Okay, The more codependent, if you would, that we become on God, the more that we need Him for every single thing, the healthier our relationship is. It's the only relationship that's designed to to function that way. Um, Any gospel that tells us all we need is a prayer is dangerous. Any gospel that tells us that all we need is to come on Sundays, all we need is to tithe. Any gospel that sets any limit beyond total Need for Jesus every second of every day is missing it. You can tell how healthy your walk with Jesus is by how much you need Him every single day. And again, I'm not saying it's this super spiritual thing. What I'm saying is, I know when I wake up in the morning, I am a jerk. Without God, I'm a terrible dad. I'm an awful friend, right? Without God, I know that I need Him for these things, correct? It's not that this is what it looks like. What happens with God whenever we begin this dive deeper into God, what's so interesting in this process is that it frees us from all the expectations of the people around us. Now, I, now, I'm not saying you walk in, don't go to work tomorrow, uh, you know, in your PJs and be like, I don't have to worry about your expectations, I'm in Christ Jesus. You know, like, that's not what I, okay, that's not what saying, okay? But what I'm saying is just that the constant pressure for us to, to continue to conform to these image, uh, these different things that people need us to be, begin to drop. And whenever we begin to allow ourselves to sit into who we are in Christ, we we continue to be more and more aware of those around us. And so what happens here is as we become more and more dependent on God, it begins to to lead us to, to, you know, step two, if you would. So what happens is for us, we acknowledge our weakness, we acknowledge that we need, we are built to depend, to lean on, Right. And so th- the moment that we realize that we are designed to lean on, we begin to lean on God. Now, this leads us somewhere. We start by leaning on God, but this process always takes us to the next step, which is learning to lean on others. Now, this is called the interdependence of the church, meaning it's with God, I need Him. I need to lean on God, but He doesn't exactly need to lean on me, right? Right? But in the kingdom, in the church, it's interdependence, meaning I lean on you and you lean on me. Have you guys ever done the co worker thing where we're like you're in a circle and you all sit down together? You know what I'm talking about? And like there's no chairs, but you're all like, okay, no one else has done that. That was really awkward. Okay, it's really cool. Yeah, it shows the, okay, you get it. And what happens in the kingdom is, we are called to live a life of leaning on others and allowing others to lean on us. And in this is, is the place where reconciliation and fellowship and where the Spirit of God begins to come and operate. Say, if you grew up in a charismatic church, you know, you know, you were taught about prophecy and giftings and all these different things, but often you'd only see a couple giftings at work. And what was always confusing to me, which, you know, is beautiful now is that no one person had all the gifts. The idea was that in order for the Spirit of God to do what the will of God wanted to happen, all these different people had to be willing to yield themselves to work with the Spirit, not just the Spirit, but with each other. And see, what's so funky for me was whenever I committed um, to the ministry, I committed to yielding my life to work with God. Not necessarily working with you, Right? (laughs) And then when I started realizing, oh, to work with the Spirit, to work with God, means I'm going to have to work and rely and trust on you. See, take a marriage, for example. You know, the marriages in this room where the one spouse carries all the weight, those are typically the ones that are doomed to fail. The marriages where you guys have figured out how to divvy up the chores, if you would. And of course, you know, like when we're not just talking about uh, the trash or the dishes or shopping. We're talking about emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Those of you who don't just have spouses, those of you who have partners, you guys know what it means to have a healthy marriage, to, to interdepend, to lean on each other. And this is the way that, that the, the church, this is the way that this room should operate, where people who need each other in a serious way, Yes, it could be very spiritual. It could be a prophecy, or um, you know, a word, or you know, to lay hands on each other. But it could also be just just the need to have have our kids play together. You know, you know, uh, just the need to have someone to hang out with, to have someone to talk to, just to have someone to break bread with. It's it's super spiritual and it's super natural and real. But the whole idea is that we would do this thing called life, leaning on each other. And the reason that most of us have not found a church that feels right is because we haven't been willing to fully commit to church at all. Because to find a church that looks like the church in the Bible means that you're going to have to be a part of something where you're willing to take your life and put it at risk by trusting others with it. And so until you're willing to do that, you will never find a church that looks like the church in Acts, ever. So keep looking, right? We are going to try here, right? I mean, yeah. We'll give it a good try. Everyone's like, oh, Lord have mercy. You wait what's coming next week. It's going to be even better. Now, uh, here's the thing that happens. Whenever we become free from the expectations of others, we begin to learn how not to place our expectations on others. In the same way that you go through everyday... I mean... You can just feel it, right? You are not... have to be careful. Most of us are not the same person at home as we are at work, correct? When you are by yourself with a book or with TV, or, you know, whatever, your happy place, you are not the same person there as you are at church right now. Correct? Why? Because you feel and react to the expectations of everyone around you, right? What happens is this. When we begin to be comfortable in who God's called us to be, that means whenever we walk into, into work, into church, one, I'm not tempted to, to function in fear, meaning I, I'm not going to be keeping you away. I'm not going to be standoffish or defensive, okay? I'm not going to be uh, prideful even. Because see, if I feel your, your pressures, you know, I'm always tempted to kind of, You know, oh, well, I'll show that person. I'm much smarter than they think I am. I'm much more spiritual. I'm much blah, 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 right? What happens is when we're free of those pressures and we're just kind of sitting in a place with the Spirit of God every moment of our lives, now we are freed up to sit down with someone else and just be, just be. You have no idea what it's like to sit down and and to be around someone who is fully comfortable being themselves. When you first do it, it makes you feel very awkward, right? You guys know anyone like that who's just so comfortable in their own skin? They're just, you know, just here. No? Okay. It makes you feel like they're from a different planet. Like they're in on this secret that you just don't know. You're like, what's this guy know? I don't know. But there's something about those people. It allows you... slowly begins to melt off all the pressures of having to be or do anything. You just get to be yourself. What happens for us is part of being kingdom people is that everywhere we go, we are unlocking who people are truly called to be. We are giving people freedom to be exactly who God's called them to be. And let's just be honest, there is a process of growing in Christ, right? right. And so what, what, when I'm with this person who is just very rough around the edges, they're kind of a jerk, they're very kind of, you know, surly and tell awful jokes, I'm giving this person the freedom to be exactly who they are in this moment. Meaning, in, they're hurting, they're in pain, they've been through years of junk, and this is where they are. And my allowing them just to be who they are in that moment begins to unlock what's really on the inside. The more comfortable that you become in who you are in Christ, you will find people begin to be drawn to you. And they just begin to just spit random stuff out at you. You know, you sit down. Hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? My wife loves me, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, wow. Okay. So much for chit-chat. There is so much waiting for you with God, but it's, it's on the other side of having to let go of who you want to be having to let go of who you've been told to be. And so this morning, for all of us, the emphasis for us is very simple. It's that we need to begin to allow the Spirit of God to peel back all the layers of being anything other than who He's called us to be. And this is the start of encountering God in new ways and in new places in our lives. Would you guys stand with me?